Today's program is brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Femen About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. <laughs> and I'm Chris Coosby. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. On iTunes and Stitcher and also right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. It has been a very busy weekend for Mary and I. We just finished hosting the uh, New York City Northeast Regionals of the National Home Brewers Competition. And uh, Mary, you did an incredible job. Incredible job. As did you, Mr. Kuzme. Behind the scenes. <laughs> um, and if you participated in that and you sent in entries, uh, our sco- I've submitted our scores. Uh, the American Home Birds Association has to uh, confirm them. I've got to scan our, our flight sheets, and then they're going to verify them. And then they might even be posted by the end of the week. But uh, it will all happen pretty fast. We're pretty pretty being as, as efficient as we can on this. Congratulations ahead of time to those who won and are moving on. And, uh, From our site as well as the other yeah. 11 sites. That's right. And I think there is still time to uh, volunteer for some of those other sites. Actually, there are 12 sites in total. Uh, four of them at this point uh, now have concluded. And uh, in weekends to come, uh, you, can, you can sign up to, to volunteer to judge and steward. Uh, judge if you are BJCP registered. Steward if you uh, are interested in seeing how uh, these competitions go on. And it, I can't stress how incredible it is to have like more help than you need so if you want to go i'm sure that they will be they will welcome you you can go to brewingcompetition.com sign in to judge or steward at the at the regions and uh i forget which other cities they actually are i've been so busy uh, thinking about ours <laughs> i know i'm looking it up but i'm having some some problems here okay before we get uh, no i can tell you who okay. else all right so april 10th and 11th is will be chicago illinois denver colorado philly pennsylvania st paul minnesota san diego california and zanesville ohio sweet so if you live near those areas uh please uh you know volunteer your time because we can certainly use it yep so let's do some announcements before we talk a little bit more about running a homebrew competition. So coming up on April 25th is the Pride of Brooklyn Homebrew Festival. Uh, I believe it is that's in its third year. It's a homebrew competition. It's held at Littlefield in Brooklyn. That's 622 DeGrasse Street in Brooklyn. Uh, it is from 1 p.m. until a little later that afternoon. I actually don't know the concluding time. Uh, I will be a judge at this, too. So there are 25 different homebrewers are participating. Um, and uh, it's, it's been awesome in years past. I look forward to it uh, this year again. Um, and what else do I have to say about that? You can find it. Uh, it's that you can purchase tickets through TicketFly.com, or you can find it if you look up Pride of Brooklyn Homebrew Festival. On you can go to their Facebook page. There's a direct link and uh, photos of years past and and excitement of this year. That's what all I have to say about that. All right. So um, as I've mentioned, not only have I been brewing beer again and making other beverages and foods, but I've also started blogging again. So you can find um, I posted the. Um, 
passion fruit mosaic saison recipe, as well as my green market beet shortmead, which I ended up calling... Ooh, now I can't remember what I called it. But anyway, they are both on My Life on Craft. Oh, it's Heart Skips a Beat Shortbeat. That's what I ended up calling it. So I've posted both of those on My Life on Craft. Um, And uh, I'm excited about continuing to write and and share more of my beverages that I've been making, as well as food. Uh, So I'm going to try to stick to some themes here. I'm going to have a fermentation Friday. So hopefully one recipe every Friday that is something fermented. And then uh, I'm doing shortmeads. Maybe not every Monday, but every couple of Mondays, I'll have a new short meat. I think short meat is one of my favorite beverages to make. And they're really fast and really easy and very flexible, so there's a ton of options for flavors. Um, ah, so we have formed Club Ferment about it here in Brooklyn, but it's a worldwide fermentation club. So if you are... Um, the impetus for this uh, pretty much directly is because we are going, coming out to San Diego for the National Homebrewers Conference, um, and we're not sure that we're able to send kegs from New York uh, this year. And so what we would love is anybody on the West Coast who's driving to this competition, if uh, if they would like to, you, you don't have to stand at our booth unless you'd like to because you, you might be participating in your own club's booth and representing, but if anybody would like to make any fermented beverages or of, of, a, of the alternate kind... Um, we would love to serve them. Yeah, especially if you don't have a club or for whatever reason, we would love for you to come share your beverages. We are going to bring kegs out, though, for sure. One way or the other, yes, you think? Yes, absolutely. Right. <laughs> Still working it out. Hey, we, I want to share all these crazy, wonderful um, alternatives, alternative ferments that we've been making. Um, oh, on that same note, we would love to hear from you. So you can send us an email or tweet tweet at us. So our email is fumentaboutit, F-U-H-M-E-N-T-A-B-O-U-D-I-T. Note the D-I-T. Don't be a tit. <laughs> fumentaboutit at gmail.com, and it's at fumentaboutit for Twitter. So we would love to hear if you have any, any show ideas or you know somebody special or a special business um, that you would love to to hear on the show again also we'd love to hear what do you like what do you like about the show what do you think we could do better any of that we would just love to hear from you also we would invite we might actually start having a live question or it might not be live but it'll be a surprise question so if you have a surpri- uh, question that you would either like to call in and ask us or you would like to send us a question to answer on the air we are o- definitely open to those at this point so again our email address is fermentaboutit at gmail.com or you can tweet to us at at fermentaboutit and uh, i think that this is leading towards i learned something for, uh, that what they're doing at inebriation nation in australia when i was on that show they have a hotline that you can call 24 hours a day and basically record your question on there or, or you know with the understanding that you and you just say it state in the beginning whether you want it to be played on air or not um but we might end up doing that, have a little ferment about a hotline for fun. Yeah, we're, we're going to work on that. That's on our to-do, to-investigate list. <laughs> so let's go back to this homebrew competition. I think this was, I guess I was judge coordinator for Homebrew Alley a couple of years ago. Um, In tandem with uh, John Nagley. Yeah, right? yeah. But this was my first time um, really being involved with the first round of the National Homebrewers Competition. Mm-hmm. Now, many of you know, I think we've mentioned this before, but the National Homebrewers Competition is run by the American Homebrewers Association, and it is the largest international beer competition in the world. Um, so all they have, as we mentioned before, 12 first-round sites. So 
homebrewers send their beer to these first-round sites, and then basically between one and three from every category, according to BJCP guidelines. And we're still using the previous guidelines. Uh, the new guidelines are about to come out, but this year's NHC is using the previous guidelines. The 2008 guidelines. Yep. yep. So there are still 27 categories. 28. 28. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, that's right. I always forget about the. <laughs> There's two cider categories. <laughs> anyway, um, so <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought there. All right, no. So it's been a long one, <laughs> one to two beers from each category, from each um, first round. Three, three. three well, it could be up to three. Up to three. Right. It's not always. Nope, that's Because you have to score over a 30. So the beers are judged on a scale of one to 50. And in order to qualify to go on, a beer has to score at least 30 at the first round. So then all of these will go toward, uh, to the National Homebrewers Conferen- Competition, which is in San Diego, California this year, and they'll be judged, and then those will be winners of the official competition. Those points also go, go towards things like um, the awards, like Club of the Year and the Ninkasi Award. So they really go into a lot of, a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about it what it was like to run a homebrew competition. So first of all, in New York City, it's a little tricky to find <laughs> a reasonably reasonable place that A, has enough room, and B, has a reasonable cost. Um, real estate here is... And a reasonable environment with which to judge. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's what, yeah, re, yeah reasonable space and the suitable environment. Right. And then also at, at a cost that is affordable. Since this is all not-for-profit, the American Homebrewers Association is a not-for-profit organization. We're all volunteers doing Absolutely. Um, so a few years ago, Chris, you had said, we. this is our third year, right? Yeah, for, for New York City hosting it. Being yeah. a first round. Mm-hmm. So you had found Single Cut last year, or you and Ken, I guess. Yep. So go ahead and... Well, we did it at, at Alewife first because uh, it worked, and we, it's what we had together for... Um, uh, you know, we do that. We do home rally there, and so it was easy to set up there. And Alewife is a bar and restaurant in um, Long Island City, Queens. So mm-hmm. very convenient to both Brooklyn and Manhattan and other places. And then uh, Single Cut just let us in with open arms. They've given us a great discount. It's a great environment to do it. There is sometimes, um, you know, a couple smells coming from the actively fermenting fermenters um, with if you can, you know, exclude that from you know, you got to put your nose deep in the in those <laughs> in those uh in the glasses to make sure you're not getting getting some of those but they the staff was absolutely awesome to us they were accommodating uh all the beers were treated with the utmost respect on pallets in their cold room as soon as they arrived uh you know you know, big big thanks and shout outs to uh rich Buschetta, the, the the head brewer and and uh owner proprietor and especially amanda meyer who who just helped facilitate everything the tapper manager they gave us a great discount on beers so you know our judges were happy they really pampered us like all across the board it was awesome yep and uh so single cut beersmith is a brewery it's in the astoria neighborhood of Queens, so it's pretty easily accessible it's just a little bit of a walk from the subway but not not uh undoable there's also parking so that was two qualifications that are important to us in new york city that it that it, there is some access easy access from major train lines um and we were literally we rented tables and we were literally judging in the brewery so it was actually pretty clean i mean like chris said there we're, we're surrounded by actively fermenting beer tanks but overall i think it was a pretty good environment Absolutely. um to do so um not noisy, not intrusive from, from, uh, from, uh, I mean, their tap room was open 
on Friday night and afternoon. Yeah, but the tap room's really in front. So we had, we were isolated from the tap room for sure. Um, And there was great lighting on Saturday um, as well. I mean, Friday night as well, but we had a lot of really nice natural lighting on Saturday in addition to the the lighting that's in the brewery. Um, So what are some of the things you guys, because it was a brewery and in in New York State, they do have a small kitchen, but you guys got got it catered. We got it catered, yep. So Friday night, you ordered pizza, and everyone got a drink ticket? Yeah. I think what you're going to is, okay, so when running... Okay. Just talking about kind of how we went about doing all of this. Yeah. Because I think, regardless, if you want to set up a homebrew competition, whether you are proposing, you know, to be, be a first-round location for the American Homebrewers National Homebrewers Competition, or you just want to start a small AHA, BJCP competition, these are kind of the things you have to think about. And you think about them because we're all volunteering our time, and you want your judges happy, you want your stewards happy, and you want things to happen in a timely fashion. So crossing your T's, dotting your I's are important things, and having a good checklist. And actually, the AHA is really great with sending a checklist, even though I completely forgot to get cups ahead of time. <laughs> cups! Cups of all the things I freaking forgot. It was cups. There's you know? always, you know, mistakes. Yeah. But we did actually but get But nobody lot... noticed. I got enough That's cups true. by That's the true. time anybody... That's nobody true. was short of cups. Um but I think, you know, we got a lot of really good feedback from some experienced judges that have brewed, that have judged a lot of competitions. Um, and it was very helpful. We So on Saturday morning, we just provided bagels and cream cheese, coffee, that kind of thing. And then Saturday afternoon, you had, all, so all of the judges and stewards that volunteered not only got breakfast and... Um, and ample lunch. Yeah, but they also got a beer ticket. They got a beer ticket per flight. Yep. Um, if they could still drink, those, those that were Right. Weren't. Not everybody used them, of course, yeah. but... Um, but at least that was an option. And they could save their beer ticket for, you know, the very end after all of the judging was gone because the, the tap room's open at that point. So a lot of people actually hung out at the tap room. Um, but we ordered sandwiches for lunch, sandwiches and salads and desserts, and that was made people happy. You want you don't want to order, you don't want to serve anything that's too flavorful, but you want to have some flavor. That's one constant yeah. kind of issue that a lot of people run into is that you don't want to wreck everybody's palates for the flight that's coming ahead, but you also want to provide him something that's delicious and appealing. We also had a vegetarian option, which we got compliments on as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I avoided spicy ordering spicy food, and I ordered. I, I made sure not to get everything bagels or garlic bagels or onion bagels. Right. You know? <laughs> no garlic cream cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, as far as judging going went, I, I actually learned a great deal. Uh, I was a little nervous about not having enough judges. It really takes a lot of judges to adequately judge a competition of this size. How many entries did we end up with? We had just about 700 registered, but unfortunately it was only just under 600 um, arrived. I think that was a due date issue. Um, and uh, and just, you know, we're, we're all busy and sometimes we don't get to what we commit to. So I, I did spot check and call a lot of people and they just didn't send them in. So thankfully it wasn't on my side. Yeah. For the most part. I so, think, so far as I know, so far. <laughs> as a judge coordinator, what I what I learned this year is that we actually have a great. We've been running BJCP classes yearly since at least one in the city, if not more, BJCP class every year since two thousand six, when I mm-hmm. took the exam. Um, so we have a lot of BJCP judges um, in the New York City area, and there are. There are also ongoing classes in other areas. We have, we have a lot of judges that come in from Long Island and Jersey and Connecticut. So Yet we're still very not enough, right? But it's tough. So um, we also had several BJCP classes that are going on that people have either taken the online exam and they're almost through the class. So they've been judging beers at every class, and they were, although they're novices, they were recommended 
by their instructors. So they have been trained pretty adequately. So what I did, and I don't know every judge, um, so what I did is people signed up online. I went ahead and sent them an email, you know, kind of introducing. And then then I had a Google survey that I asked people to to fill out. And it basically just asked approximately how many BJCP competitions have you judged? Do you have any other relevant experience outside of BJCP competitions um, that, you know, would that you'd be interested in, and then anything else that they would like to let us know. And that I found that that was very, very helpful because it gave me an idea of, first of all, how experienced they were. So I knew, you know, I wanted to pair experienced judges with less experienced judges. You're always going to have less experience, you know, a a variety of experience in your judges. And you want to pair them up well, and you want to make sure that they're judging the categories that that they're really meant to judge. Um, So I thought that was very helpful for me. And um, and I think I did a pretty good job, actually, of pairing everybody up. So we used a lot of novices, that, but these are novices that have are almost done with the BJCP class, have been judging. Most of them have taken the exam. Um, and, um, and they were actually used as a third judge. So we had, you know, we were able to add a novice judge as a third judge on each, you know, where appropriate. Yeah, I think it worked great. And I think that yep. I look forward to hearing, you know, anybody's feedback to, to the, how we did it, you know, entries and... Yep. Um, and we also did, I mean, the AHA always, or NHC does cue judging, so which is really helpful. But I think that's really nice for almost any competition. Yeah, it speeds things up yeah. a lot. And if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. But we're going to take a quick break and get back to other stuff on Foment About It. The following program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Man about it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here in the studio with Mary Izette, author of uh, Speed Brewing, to come out in June this year. You can pre-order it on Amazon. She's a great co-host, and I like her a lot. She was judge coordinator at the National Home Brewers Com- Competition, New York City at Regionals. We were just talking about that, but we're moving on now. Speaking of writing, uh, you know, there there's a lot of inspiration out there, and we're going to uh, to Mary's first Man About It book review. Not my first. Is it? I don't think so. I don't know. But um, we've had authors on before. <laughs> yeah. But we were very fortunate uh, to receive this book, Fermented Foods for Vitality and Health. So I'll do the disclaimer. This came to us free in the mail. Um, but man, it is a great book. So first of all, it's a paperback. Let me look when it... I made notes, but I don't actually know when it came out. Oh, it came out March 12th, so it's very topical. Wow. 
Ooh, here's my notes. Okay, so it's called Fermented Foods for Vitality and Health. It's by Dunja Gulen. I might be pronouncing that really terrible with my limited Midwestern tongue. D-U-N-J-A-G-U-L-I-N um, is the author. And first of all, I think it's very excellent. It has a great base fermentations, how-to. Um, kefir, both water and milk kefir, yogurt, rejuvelac, ginger beer, fermented veggies, and sourdough. Um, so those are... Just a really, this will give you a really good reference and how-to of some very basic fermentations. And then after that, the author goes into, she kind of splits up the rest of the dishes by meal. So there's a breakfast, there's a lunch and dinner chapter, side salads and snacks, breads and pancakes, condiments, dressings and dips, probiotic drinks, and something sweet. Um, And some of the ones that I was really impressed, there's a recipe for comforting cacao porridge which starts with fermented oatmeal cacao porridge yes and i haven't fermented oatmeal yet so i'm definitely going to try this it's a pretty short fermentation um 24 hours and then you basically make your porridge so i'm pretty excited about that it also has a really nice vegan version of the sourdough crackers that i made uh, a couple weeks ago which is great and it has beautiful photos so there's pretty much one photo full color full size photo for every recipe in the book it's absolutely beautiful it has some really nice um vegetarian i think it's all vegetarian and possibly vegan um man some really attractive photos and delicious sounding recipes so this is definitely going to get some use around our house i'm excited for that me too <laughs> stay tuned for our explorations now for that our we're... house party our, <laughs> yeah. our, our national house party in brooklyn we can fit everybody i'm sure <laughs> So one thing that we've kind of talked about doing on the show before but haven't is talking fermentation in the news. There are so many amazing things going on in the world of fermentation, um, and we would like to bring them to your attention. All right, so let's start. <laughs> I'm letting Barry do most of this. <laughs> well, big ups and big thanks to our, our, uh, our, our uh, research, research assistant. Uh, research specialist. Oh, research specialist. Our, our fermentation research specialist, <laughs> Dave Sharfstein, who sent us some good links earlier today. Um, and one of them starts with uh, fermentation food linked to mental health. Yeah, so, you know, we, we're, we're going to have a disclaimer here. We're not saying that, uh, you know, fermented foods will save your life or, you know, make you live forever. But there are definitely more and more studies that are coming out that are showing that they can have some very positive effects on your health. And this particular article is very interesting. It's it was from psychcentral.com. Yep. And it's about... The link of fermented foods to mental health, which I actually haven't seen that much research on. But they've done a lot of uh, this. So this is actually talking about several studies. But one of the first ones is from the Journal of Physiological Anthropology. Um, And they're talking, first of all, our intestine contains about 300 to 500 different species of bacteria that can be roughly divided into health promoting ones like lactobacilli which we're all familiar with as sour beer makers, and then harmful ones such as clostridia. So they were actually looking at the link um, between fermented foods and, um, and positive mental health. And I argue that, I mean, because there are certain bacteria that, that are, is good for your health in general and good for your stomach and helps your body just move, and by eating most most fermented foods or pickled vegetables, you know, that's generally a healthier, healthier diet. And so I think that just by 
physically being healthy, you're becoming mentally healthy. That's my argument here. Well, they did say, so basically the authors said that the link could manifest itself directly through gut-to-brain communication or indirectly through beneficial bodily changes, such as improved glycemic control, antioxidant, and anti-inflammatory activity, or reduction of intestinal permeability. So, you know, it could be either way. They do mention... So I am a scientist? (laughs) Yes. Thanks, Mary. Um, But they do actually mention a couple other interesting articles. So they found um, that healthy animals, there was a study that had healthy animals given one strain of lactobacillus showed a reduction in anxiety and depression-like behaviors under stress. These animals actually had alterations in the system of the brain concerning the neurotransmitter gamma-aminobutyric acid, which is known as GABA, that were similar to the effects of antidepressants such as benzodiazepines. So that's actually really interesting. So again, those are animal studies, not human. Um, but they did find, there was another study that mentioned a combination of lactobacillus and uh, bifidobacterium given for a month to healthy adults appeared to lead to significant improvements in depression, anger, and anxiety. Now, in their review, the authors caution that not all forms of fermented foods are helpful. So they said, for example, some pickled veggies can grow fungi that increase the production of in-nitroso compounds, which have possible cancer-causing properties. So, obviously, research in this area is ongoing, but it's pretty interesting, some of the studies that are coming out. And that was one of them. Again, this article is from psychcentral.com, and the the name of this article is Fermented Foods Linked to Mental Health uh, by Jane Collingwood. Also in last week's news was an article about fermented fashion. So I actually uh, tweeted this from our Foment About It Twitter last week. Uh, It was both on CNET and The Telegraph. But um, Australian creative scientist Gary Cass and fashion designer Donna Franklin have added a bacteria called Acetobacter to fermented beer and then created a cotton-like fibers from it and an actual dress. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. So previously, uh, here's what they call them. They have dubbed the new solid fiber nanolose microbial cellulose and they say that it's chemically similar to cotton you said acetobacter mm-hmm. i know what dress i'm not taking off of my <laughs> teeth this year <laughs> um it's pretty interesting they actually first um came out with a dress made of fermented wine in 2012 however it says it was by accident as Cass mistakenly left a vat of wine open for a week however um the wine dress had a strange texture which clung to the skin. It had to be kept wet at all times and it also smelt strongly of wine. Hmm. The new beer dress has no smell and can be worn more easily. So this is pretty interesting. That beer dress will actually be on display at the World Expo 2015 in Milan later this year. I've always loved beer versus wine competitions. <laughs> it's a whole new level. I'm into it. <laughs> all right, next up. <laughs> Also news last week, so Barry Calabo of Calabo Chocolate. I'm probably mispronouncing that too. I'm like the queen of mispronunciation. Anyway, he has borrowed Belgian beer techniques to control cocoa fermentation. This is from confectionarynews.com. So first of all, we'll talk a little bit of how... So chocolate is actually a fermented product. It usually takes place at the farm level. So the cacao beans, after they're harvested, they're heaped into a pile, covered by banana leaves, and left to rest for seven days to, f- for, to develop flavor. And what they're doing is they're actually fermenting, and that's developing the flavors. So Barry Calabo has been doing a lot of research. It says teams from the Flanders Institute for Biotechnology and University of Leuven um, have been led by Professor Kevin Verstreppen, visited Barry Calabo's sites in Africa and Asia Pacific to test various yeasts. They found the ideal strain, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. That's the jam. 
And here's the quote. It says, when this new yeast is added while the cocoa is fermented in the bush, the process becomes faster and more consistent. Moreover, the new yeast strain produces more desirable aroma compounds and hampers the growth of unwanted yeast. The result is even tastier chocolate. So that's pretty cool. They're not yet using um, this controlled fermentation for their commercial products, but may, that this could change the whole world of chocolate. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> that's true. Chocolate is delicious today. No comment from Mary. No, no comment. No comment from the galleys. All right. In today's news. No, I think this was actually yesterday. Um, ancient Egyptian brewery was found in Tel Aviv, apparently smack dab in downtown Tel Aviv. It said um, shards were found under an office construction site in 17 pits used to store agricultural produce in the early Bronze Age. It's around 3,500 3, to 3,000 B.C. for those of us that are not historians. Um, so it says they've also detected a thick, partially baked water and barley mixture that was left to ferment in the sun. Um, it says that beer was consumed by the entire population of Egypt, regardless of age, gender, or status. Antiqu the Antiquities Authority, uh, Diego Barkin says, it was made from a mixture of barley and water that was partially baked and then left to ferment in the sun. Various fruit concentrates were added to this mixture in order to flavor the beer. Various fruit. Mm-hmm. Is that what I said? No. Yeah. Fruit. Yep. Yep. Pretty cool. That's very cool. And then, since we're talking about news, we have to go to uh, an article that was that I read earlier this year. When was this? This was from January 22nd, actually. This is from the, um, the Journal Sentinel uh, tap from Milwaukee. And there is a home brewer named Thera Ratter... Wait, let me, I'm going to mispronounce this. Rotterdam that is doing a homebrew from Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewerage District Wastewater Plant Effluent. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so it's not, <laughs> so basically effluent hasn't gone through kind of the final um, process of filtering. So um, Rotterdam is 39. He's a wastewater engineer with the State Department of Natural Resources by day, and he's been homebrewing beer for almost two years. So basically, he chlorinated, dechlorinated, filtered, distilled, tested, and added nutrients to the water before beginning to make five gallons of what he calls activated sludge, a wheat ale with 5.15% alcohol by volume. So he actually had a taste panel at Lakefront Brewery where his activated sludge went head-to-head -head with Lakefront Wheat Monkey. And it said um, the tasters gave it very good, very good scores. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I mean, head to head. So they gave it good scores. Is there is there a winner? Is there, so brewery is it, president. It? So the president okay. of Lakefront Brewery, Russ Kilsch, said um, he says no pathogen known to man to man that can grow in beer. Um, he says who praised Ryder. Rider Sarn's activated sludge for its golden color. His down note was the beer's carbonation and lack of body. Another taster, Mitchell DeSantis, graded the beer a uh, seven on a ten point scale. He said it's one of the better home brews I've ever had. Oh, interesting. So Radis Radarasarn wanted to prove a point by using the water. He said I w he wanted to raise awareness of the quality of plant effluent. So I think that's kind of cool. That is very cool. Yep. So save your wastewater. It's the moral of the story, right? <laughs> to make beer. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> to make great beer. Uh. I think it's just exciting. I mean, this guy's combining his day job and his hobby, so that's always cool. 
And that's our show for Foment About It this week. We're going to work on news segments. I think we're going to try to have, there are a lot of really cool things going on, so we're going to try to incorp- at least incorporate at least one or two news pieces in, in our shows from now yeah. on. We're going to get better at it. Though. We are by no means out of guests in New York City. Um, you know, so and we, surrounding. And surrounding. So more, more, more fun to come. Yeah. Um, uh, next week, uh, we'll have some interviews that I did with Batch Bring, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, there's a maybe. All uh, right. Matt might be postponed by a week. We might move one of our um, a guests that we were going to have on later in the month earlier because it works for people's schedules. I say yes. We should just do it. Yeah. Cheryl Passwater. Cheryl Passwater. And what she going to talk about? Ooh, she's got a very yeah. cool um, ferment, ferment, fermented CSA. And then she also taught a she really great... Dosa and Idli workshop Idli, Idli, at the Ferment Idli. Ferment. Idli. Yeah, Dosa and Idli. Oh, man, they were delicious. And Dosa is something that I love to eat at restaurants, but I've never made it at home. And Cheryl made it look really easy. She explained it very well. So we're super excited to talk about that. So that's who we're, we're going to have on next Monday. Inspiring. Absolutely. She's and doing lots of cool fermentations. Be here next week. Hopefully we've got to confirm it, but you know, to, to, be, to be determined. Yep. And with that, thank you, our engineer, Liz. Thank you, David Sharfstein, our research <laughs> our research. Uh, Specialist, our, our, our search specialist. What's what's your official title? Hold on, he'll text me any second. Research now, sure. specialist. Oh, there you go. Anyway, <laughs> sleep is soon. Until next Monday, for men about, about it. it. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.